Kia ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners, the Auckland Faculty. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler, a specialist GP, and today I welcome Dr. Calvin Ward to the podcast. Calvin is a fellow of the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care and is the medical director at Wellington Accident and Urgent Medical Centre. He consults as a technical expert for clinical audits against the urgent care clinical standard. Most recently, Calvin has developed an interest in air quality and has been involved in promoting this to GP leads, urgent care leads, and the Ministry of Health. Calvin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Louise. So we're talking about ventilation and filtration within a COVID pandemic and what GPs need to know. Mitigation of risk, we all know, is multi-layered, and we've got pretty good at the basic layering and mitigating risk here. But ventilation and filtration is a hot topic, and we're going to zoom in on that today. So, Kelvin, we know that SARS-CoV-2 transmission is mainly airborne. So why is this such a risk in our clinics, and what are the things that we can do to mitigate risk? We need to, um, I think, understand that airborne transmission has become increasingly recognised as the dominant mode of transmission in comparison to droplet and surface transmission. And aerosols are emitted during normal respiratory activity. So normal breathing, talking, coughing will release aerosols into the atmosphere. And in an indoor environment, these aerosols remain suspended in the air and they will accumulate with time. So the concentration will increase. And so with an increased concentration of suspended aerosols, the increased risk of inhaling those and becoming infected. And another important point uh, to understand is that with the accumulation of the aerosols, the risk will persist even after a person has left the room. And so somebody entering that room at a a later point can be exposed and inhale those aerosols. In terms of clinics, uh, then we're often uh, consulting in small rooms and closed rooms with poor ventilation. Uh, And so it, it becomes a significant concern for transmission between an infected patient and a staff member. Thanks for that, Calvin. So we're thinking about mitigation of risk now. How can we think of this in a logical manner to make proactive steps within our clinics? We need to take a a multifaceted approach towards mitigation. And I like to think of it uh, broken down into three aspects. The first would be source control. Uh, It's important to try and limit the amount of aerosol that potentially uh, gets into into the air within a clinic. And so first, you'd want to think about red and green stream for patients as much as possible, which we're already doing is assessing patients outside in cabins, for example, in their cars, where there's uh, good uh, ventilation. You also want to make sure that all patients are masks to to reduce source uh, aerosol emission. And if patients have to come inside the clinic, trying to minimise contact time and keeping them inside the clinic for as little amount of time as possible. The second aspect is is ventilation. And here we want to maximise the fresh air exchange. And this can either be through natural uh, ventilation by opening windows 
by using fans to direct airflow out of those windows. It also may be due to fresh air exchange through a mechanical ventilation system if, if your clinic is fitted with such a system. And the third layer is air filtration, which is really used as a mitigation against inadequate ventilation. So if the ventilation in your clinic is assessed as being inadequate in terms of the amount of fresh air that you've got being delivered, then air filtration, either through a mechanical ventilation system or with the use of portable HEPA filters, is another mitigation. So, Calvin, you've mentioned if your ventilation is adequate. A ventilation audit is something that will be new to lots of us, but I wonder if we can talk about that for a moment. What is a ventilation audit? Can we do this ourselves or do we need to get an engineer in? If we get an engineer in, who do we get? And what are we trying to ascertain with this ventilation audit? It was a new concept to me as well up until a couple of months ago. And in our clinic, we engaged a professional ventilation engineer because I think it's really beyond the scope of most clinicians to know what to look for. A ventilation engineer could assess the adequacy of both natural ventilation within a clinic and also the adequacy of mechanical ventilation systems if that's what's in use in the clinic. Mechanical ventilation systems can both bring fresh air into the clinic or they may be set to recirculate air and depending on the system that air that's recirculated may or may not be filtered to any particular degree and recirculated air within a clinic that is not filtered as a is a potential risk for uh, redistributing infected air so really i think it's important to get professional advice in terms of auditing your ventilation system or the adequacy of your ventilation I understand we need to think about a concept called air changes per hour. So I wonder if you can talk about what is meant there and what an optimal air change is in our clinics and there will be different air changes perhaps needed in different parts of our clinics. So I wonder if you could talk to that, please. Well, air changes per hour is the, the number of times that the air is changed over within, within a building and that can be made up of a combination of natural ventilation or air that's brought in from outside by an HVAC system. It can also include air which is recirculated but adequately filtered. That may either be part of the function of the HVAC system or it may be air that's delivered via portable HEPA filtration. And an ideal level of air changes per hour should really be more than six in the setting of a, of a medical facility. Uh, this is a standard which is uh, relatively uh, widely accepted. So how do we know if we're getting six air changes an hour? I understand uh, we can use a, a proxy um, measure using CO2 monitoring. So I wonder if you can tell us about CO2 monitoring and your experience using a CO2 monitor in your own clinic. Well, I think first as part of a ventilation order, a ventilation engineer may well be able to give you an estimate of air changes per hour based on the flow rate that your HVAC system delivers. So that, that would be the first port of call. And it's important to distinguish between fresh air and recirculated air and whether that air is filtered or not. 
If it's difficult to get an assessment of air changes per hour, then CO2 can be used as a proxy, as you say. Carbon dioxide is obviously exhaled and it accumulates within a confined space that's poorly ventilated. And so increased levels of CO2 are a measure of uh, inadequate ventilation. Atmospheric CO2 is just over 400 parts per million. And again, widely accepted figure for adequate ventilation in an indoor space would be less than 800 parts per million. Now in our clinic in Wellington, we purchased a small portable CO2 monitor and did some trials in various locations throughout the clinic. It was a little bit concerning that levels would often reach between 1,000 and 1,200 parts per million in small confined consultation spaces. So improving ventilation, you mentioned, can happen via a number of ways. There's three ways that we can think about it. So um, thinking about natural ventilation, how can we optimise this? And are there any pitfalls on just relying on natural ventilation as your strategy for your ear changes per hour? Yeah, well, opening doors and windows, uh, and particularly on opposite sides of a room, so you create a cross-draft. In our clinic, for example, we have very few doors and windows that can be open, so it may not be practical. You can use fans to direct air flow out of the window and encourage uh, air uh, air flow back into the building. But it can be very difficult to measure. And again, this is where a a ventilation engineer or expert may be able to give advice about the best way to try and promote natural ventilation through open windows. Using CO2 monitoring is another way. Obviously, if you get low CO2 levels, then it's a good measure that your ventilation is, is adequate. Calvin, one of the things I've learned with working with you on this uh, project and advocacy is about the CO2 monitoring and the fact that you may have a high reading, which will stir you into action to optimise ventilation, but that number won't actually come down on your monitor, will it? So can you just talk to that a moment? That's right. If you increase or improve your ventilation of fresh air, either through open windows or adjusting your HVAC system, then the CO2 level should go down. However, if you're using other mitigation strategies, uh, for example, HEPA filters, then HEPA filters remove particulates, but not CO2. So you may reduce infectious risk via filtration, but you won't necessarily see a reduction in CO2. So that needs to be held in mind. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying that. So just thinking about the HVAC systems, which some clinics, hopefully purpose-built clinics, will have, how do we use the system safely here? Thinking filter ratings, flow of air, things like that. You want to make sure that the the fresh air or the filtered air uh, number of air changes per hour is is as as much as possible and hopefully uh, more than six. Now, recirculated air may or may not be filtered, and it's important when you get advice from ventilation engineers that you assess the level of filtration on any recirculated component. It may be that the stand that the level of filtration is compliant with a building standard in New Zealand, but doesn't necessarily comply with recommendations for filtration in the context of a pandemic. The American 
Association, ASHRAE, recommends that at least what's defined as MERV-13 filtration should be used in medical or health facilities. And you may find that HVAC systems in your building have a level of filtration significantly less than this. Now, that's an American rating system, equivalent of MERV-13 in New Zealand or a European standard might be F7. So I wonder now if we can talk about HEPA filtration units. Often these are portable units and they are another option should you assess that your ventilation is inadequate. But a true HEPA filter should be used, is my understanding. Can we talk about that comment first of all before we move on to to the studies that have been shown to be useful in a clinic setting using these devices? Air filtration or the use of portable HEPA filters is really a third stage of mitigation once you have optimised source control and optimised the ventilation in your clinic. Where you can't improve those to an adequate level, then you can use portable filtration devices to try and reduce the aerosol load in the air. Now, a HEPA filter is really just a fan and a filter. There are different grades of filtration, but what you would be looking for is a filter that has a true HEPA filter, which would be either H13 or H14. And it's important to understand what the clean air delivery rate or CADR is. So that's the volume of air per hour that the filter can clean. And usually in New Zealand, it's expressed uh, in cubic metres per hour. And if you're trying to achieve six air changes per hour within a clinic, then you want to match the clean air delivery rate of the filter with the volume of the room to achieve six or more air changes per hour. Now, if you have a certain number of air changes per hour through your HVAC system of fresh air delivery, then this is this adds to that. You don't need to achieve six air changes per hour necessarily from filtration alone. So there have been some studies that have been published and talk about the effect of uh, HEPA filtration in the clinic room. So I wonder if you can just talk to those for a moment. There have been quite a number of studies uh, based in classrooms, uh, also conference rooms, and in uh, medical settings. Relatively local study was performed in Melbourne using portable HEPA filters in, in a hospital setting. And they have demonstrated ability to reduce aerosol concentration in the air. And they've The studies have also shown that an additive approach is more beneficial when you include natural ventilation with masking and HEPA filtration, the the effect is additive. There is a recently published study in preprint form from the University of Oregon, which studied COVID-19 positive patients in an enclosed test chamber. And they also looked at the effect of fresh air ventilation via an HVAC system and HEPA filters and showed that there was a a significant reduction in aerosol load in the air through the use of both ventilation and HEPA filtration. Great. So what do we need to look for if we think we want to put HEPA filtration units into our clinic rooms? You want to make sure you're purchasing a filter with a true HEPA filter. You need to know how much ventilation you already have in the clinic and then assess the clean air, the number of air changes per hour you want to achieve 
and matching the clean air delivery rate with the volume of the space to achieve air changes per hour. It's important to realise that the CADR or the clean air delivery rate is often quoted on the highest fan speed. Some HEPA filters may have multiple fan speeds and they would give a clean air delivery rate for each fan speed, but often it's just a single number and you can assume that that's based on the highest fan speed. Noise is also a factor. So on a, on a high fan speed, some of these machines are, are reasonably loud. So it may be preferable to buy a machine which is overrated for the space you want to clean so you can run it on a lower fan speed or use multiple smaller devices if they're quieter. I'm sure as many of our listeners have been approached, we have, and um, there are a number of companies saying that they've got a HEPA filter, but they've got this amazing technology that goes with it, things like ozone and UV uh, light. But my understanding is this uh, technology is unproven and perhaps unsafe and we shouldn't be using it. And these units are also extremely expensive compared to a basic HEPA filter unit. So I wonder if you can tell me your thoughts on this and just elaborate a little bit more on whether or not we should have these add-ons, basically, or just a pure filtration unit. Yeah, this is quite topical. There are a number of different technologies, and I don't claim to understand the detail of how they work, but essentially they're called ionizers, and they release chemicals into the air, either positive or negative ions. Some of the technologies release hydrogen peroxide into the air with the intention of having a disinfectant function either within the air or on surfaces. Now, despite the claims, there is no peer-reviewed evidence that there is added benefit of these technologies over and above HEPA filtration alone. As well as that, there are significant concerns about the safety of these technologies in terms of the chemicals that are emitted into the air, but also the products of ongoing secondary chemical reactions that occur within the atmosphere. Uh, And so my advice would be to avoid ionizer technologies uh, in uh, preference for HEPA filtration alone. Some clinics may have purchased filtration units which have an ionizer function and Expert advice at the moment is if you have one of those units to turn the ionizer function off and rely on the HEPA filter alone. On that, there is a paper that we will include in our references, which was from the University of Melbourne, and um, it has some quite good advice about different units that have been studied. So I'd encourage listeners to go and have a look at those. The other thing I wondered about was if we get our ventilation and filtration rate right and our ear changes right do we still need to stream our patients and use PPE I know there have been a number of questions on some of the forums about the fact that we no longer need to do this but I wonder if you could comment to that because that's not my understanding I think all of these mitigations are shown to be additive and I certainly wouldn't be abandoning PPE use or streaming of patients just because you have HEPA filters in the room or that you've uh, got assurance that you've got a reasonable level of ventilation. Aerosols are concentrated closest to the source and if we're in close contact with patients who may be potentially infectious, then there's a, a high risk and 
wearing PPE, masking the patients themselves and following other protocols, I think is, is very prudent to have an additive effect. Great. Well, thank you for your time today, Calvin. I'm sure this is going to be really helpful information to many of our colleagues. Just wonder if you've got some take-home messages, please, for our listeners. It's important to understand that um, COVID is spread predominantly by the inhalation of aerosols. And these aerosols are emitted simply through normal respiratory activity, and they remain suspended in the air for significant periods of time and accumulate within enclosed spaces that aren't adequately ventilated. The risk is not simply when you're face-to-face with that patient, but as the aerosol remains suspended, it can persist within the air and uh, risk remains even after the patient may have left the room. In order for us to mitigate this risk, we need to have a multi-layered approach. So to try and stream patients and see them outside in well-ventilated areas universal mask wearing, assessing the adequacy of ventilation in in our clinics and getting professional advice as to how adequate our ventilation is, either natural ventilation or mechanical ventilation. And where there are issues with ventilation, mitigations such as HEPA filtration can be useful with the understanding that that filtration needs to be appropriately sized for the room. And also we should avoid add-on functions, uh, unproven technologies like like ionizer function. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points, please log them. There's a list of resources, which I think you'll find quite useful on our website, goodfellowunit.org. Thanks for listening today.